0: And when I played Earl Scruggs' Rolls, just kind of like going for it, howling at the moon kind of stuff, those Italian and Spanish audiences went nuts. And I asked some people in some of those towns, I was like, I tried this tonight and this is what happened. I played banjo music, go figure, on the banjo night. People went crazy. And uh, one of the people in the small town, yes, they've been playing reruns of Beverly Hillbillies on TV here for the last 10 years. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Hey,
1: everybody, it's Keith Billick here with another episode of the Picky Fingers podcast. This is episode number 10, which means, hey, I made it to double digits here. I'm kind of proud of myself. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it, but here we are and we're going strong and I'm going to keep this thing going as long as I can. Part of the reason I'm able to keep this going is because of people who support the podcast. And specifically, I need to give a shout out to two such people who who chose to sponsor this episode of the podcast the first one is charles phipps of columbia south carolina and just based on a couple of emails i had with charles we actually have a few things in common we are both licensed attorneys Da-da-da-da. you didn't know that about me as if uh, playing banjo wasn't bad enough I, I just need more jokes to be made about me apparently so anyway charles and i both have that in common And we both play the exact same model banjo, a Sullivan Bardstown, the mahogany banjo. So uh, Charles and I must be kindred spirits in uh, some sort of way. But I really thank you, Charles, for your support of the podcast. The other is James Hanford of Boston, Massachusetts. James, can't thank you enough. I was in Boston probably about two years ago for my sister's wedding and the my two main takeaways of the Boston area, one was the, just the astounding amount of history that you can find in that city. It was really fascinating. The other one is, what's with people laying on their horns? Every time I'd be waiting in a line of cars to turn, there could be 10 cars in front of me, I can't go anywhere. And nevertheless, the person behind me just lays on their horn. And I'm not talking about beep, beep, beep. I'm talking about holding down the horn for about 5 or 10 seconds. So James, what's with that? You guys need to chill out with the horns out there. If anybody has an explanation for why you all do that in Boston, please let me know. If you would like to be a supporter of the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast and that, that allows you to donate as little as $1 per month to support what I do. I'm not hired by some Big company. I'm just a dude who bought some recording gear and spends a lot of time doing this. And I do love it, but um, it does really help to, to have that support. If you know why people are really rude uh, in terms of using their horn in traffic in Boston, or if you have any other comments about the podcast, you can get a hold of me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, if you want to help out, the best thing you can do is just spread the word, share links to the episodes. Keep telling your your banjo-playing friends about it. And the more people who listen, the better. So once again, Charles Phipps, James Hanford, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Can't thank you enough. Rather than introduce the guest for this podcast, I'm going to tell you a story. So this is the Picky Fingers story time here. This story takes place in, I'm estimating, about 2006, although I I can't really be, be certain about that. But it was a while ago, and it takes place at the IBMA convention, the International Bluegrass Music Association convention. And if if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's basically this event that happens once, uh, once per year in the fall, usually late September or early October. And it takes place at a convention center hotel. It's been in uh, Louisville, Nashville. It's in Raleigh now. It kind of bounces around a little bit. But it's it's a convention. So there's a big trade show that happens with a whole bunch of bluegrass instrument builders, retailers, record companies, performances everywhere by almost any bluegrass artist you could you could imagine. And people just descend on these hotels and take over the whole thing. And there's jamming everywhere at all hours of the day and night. It's just just a a fantastic week for anybody who's into that kind of thing. So anyway, I'm on the way down to the IBMA convention roughly 10 years ago or 12 years ago, and I start feeling sick, you know, the, the heart starts racing and I feel a, a fever coming on and, and this is really not good. So I'm in a race against time and I managed to get to the hotel and get myself checked in before I get too, you know, too out of it. So I get up to my room and, and I'll, I'll spare you the the terrible details, but suffice to say, it was one of those very unpleasant types of sicknesses that made me just curl up in the bathroom floor for hours and hours wishing I was dead. And eventually I I made it to my bed and I'm trying to get some sleep, but I'm very feverish and it's one of those restless nights where you have a, a really bad fever and it's almost like you're in a state of delirium in this, in this hotel. And, and eventually I'm, I start hearing banjo music and this isn't altogether unusual at IBMA because as I said, all hours of the day or night, people are all over the hallways jamming and stuff. So, so that's not too unusual, but I'm hearing banjo music and I'm kind of drifting in and out of this fevered sleep and I'm, I'm feeling terrible. And I, I just keep hearing this banjo music and it f- slowly dawns on me that this, this banjo music, whoever's playing this is really good. And I'm listening to it. I'm listening to it. I still am not even sure if I'm awake or asleep or hallucinating or what. I'm just in this terrible state. And I keep listening to this banjo music. And, and not only is this person really good, they're, they're really good. And not only are they really good, but they're, they're so good that I've never even, heard anyone play banjo like this and and furthermore i don't even know if playing this way on the banjo is even possible so at this point i've convinced myself i must be in just a, a state of feverish hallucination i'm just i just have this banjo music going on in my head but you know how it is when you slowly realize you you slowly wake yourself up and i'm realizing that no i'm i'm really hearing this and somebody is right outside my hotel room door in the hotel hallway and they're playing banjo music. Like I've never heard before and didn't even know it was possible. So I, I start wondering who, who could this be? And I'm, I'm wondering maybe it's, maybe it's Bela Fleck. Maybe it's Tony Trishka. Maybe it's Jens Kruger. It's somebody, somebody like that. And this is probably three in the morning, you know, the dead middle of the night, but I'm, I'm sitting here listening to it sick in my bed and, and eventually it, it drives me enough crazy that I have to know who this is because I've never heard anything like it and I can't imagine who this could be. And so I stagger, I, I force myself out of my bed and I, I stagger out the door and sitting in the, in the hotel hallway, out right outside my hotel room door is Ryan Kavanaugh. And I had never met Ryan Kavanaugh, never heard him. I had heard of him that there was this guy out there who played jazz on banjo and when one contests all over the country, but I'd never met him. So I, he apologized. He, he could tell he must've woken me up, but it, I assured him that no, I was, I was just staggering out here because I was really curious to, to see what was going on. So that was my introduction to Ryan Kavanaugh. It, it made me think that I must've been like Ebenezer Scrooge being visited by the ghost of banjo future or something like that, that I was able to hear this, this banjo music that I didn't even know existed in such a weird altered state. So that's my story of my introduction to Ryan. Hopefully he didn't catch whatever it was that I had that weekend, but it's just one of those experiences that every time I hear him, I I am transported right back to that hotel room at IBMA feeling completely out of my mind and, and discovering this banjo player that I hadn't heard before. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with his playing, R- Ryan is a very skilled player, and perhaps more than anybody else, he is well-entrenched in the actual jazz world. There are a lot of banjo players who play jazzy music, maybe even some some true bebop jazz, but Ryan legit has been in bands with people who played with Miles Davis and some of these other well-respected names in the jazz. For those of you who don't listen to jazz if if you are interested you might take note of a lot of the the artists that Ryan names off the top of my head he he lists Herbie Hancock, Miles Davis, Oscar Peterson, Joe Pass. If you if you like what you hear from Ryan and you want to get into jazz, you should really check out some of the some of the names he lists because it's really a a who's who and a lot of those names are kind of like giving somebody the Flat and Scruggs, Stanley Brothers, Osborne brothers jd crow of bluegrass it's it's the real stuff to check out when you're just getting started and i also made sure i put in a few jazzy sound clips just so you could hear examples of what he's talking about but if you have any questions get a hold of me pick Your fingers banjo podcast at gmail.com and here it is the first part of my interview with ryan kavanaugh
0: I was born in New Jersey to a family of Yankees, and I grew up down south in North Carolina. To the same family, though? To the same family. Transplanted Yankees. Transplanted Yankees. Was it a musical family? Yep. Uh, my mother played clarinet. She was a very good uh, sight reader. Her father played saxophone, very good sight reader. Um, band, like a uh, marching band kind of thing. Okay. And my father played uh, guitar and banjo, five-string banjo. Of Bluegrass style? Bluegrass and plectrum uh, Irish. Oh, wow. Yep. Uh, flat picking fiddle tunes and stuff. Flat picking? Yeah. Irish fiddle tunes? Yep.
1: Oh, interesting. Kind of like that. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but that must have informed quite a bit your single string it did it, like,
0: in fact i was doing that from the first day um, my father's great uncle pat o'gorman came over from uh, from ireland with a five string vega in 1910 wow he came to newark new jersey and opened the first tire shop and he'd sit out in front and he'd play this five string banjo all these tunes devil's dream with uh, with a flat pick the irish tunes the that, irish he knew from from Ireland. From Edge. back home. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's crazy. So your father also played bluegrass style, though?
0: He played bluegrass style. He he loosely uh, three-finger picked, okay. along with slower tunes and, you know. So uh, did you grow up hearing, what, Flatt & Scruggs or J.D. Crow? Or F- Flatt & that- Scruggs, Doc Watson, uh, Country Gazette, and um, Sonny Rollins.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the, the, totally everyday, fits all the all the
0: bluegrass standards. So when did you decide to pick it up, or what made you want to? I think my dad caught me at that fateful moment. He came home from work and decided to crack open the old banjo Mm -hmm. after a couple months and play with a record. And I remember he was playing with, it was 1990-something, and he had the new, um, it was the second go-round of Will the Circle Be Unbroken. And this this time it had, like, Ricky Skaggs on it, and it had... uh, uh, new grass revival and he was playing to some song called little mountain church house and i remember hearing pick along with it I, I, I really forget how it goes I, I can't even remember how the song goes <laughs> yeah. he was playing it very loosely like that and right that and i I heard that and i said wait you're doing what you played me on those records show me how right and then it just you know so you hadn't played at
1: all until that point and just something about it seemed really cool to be able to do
0: yeah i had to learn some stuff on the banjo and guitar just to check it out it it, how old were you it wasn't boring uh around 10 okay i was 10 years old yeah
1: and how did you learn from there was he showing you stuff or did you end up with a
0: teacher um, he had the Earl Scruggs book, and he had a, a Sonny Osborne primer okay. that, that I found before that. that. That was yeah, it was a really ancient book. It's probably like in a landfill somewhere now. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it, but yeah. but uh, it was Sonny's way of how to play Cripple Creek and all that. It made it a little easier. That was still hard, and then my mom found How Leonard's Banjo Book One at some gift shop. Uh, when I was a kid and that was really easy it, for a lesson plan for a kid that book I moved right through it okay it was, it was re- much easier than the the diagrams and stuff and the, the Earl Scruggs and Sonny book for me as a kid were very adult looking
1: yeah the the Earl book and I've actually talked about this to other podcast guests that I that I've had it's it's not the best written instructional book. Everyone loves the tab, yeah, and the songs and learning that stuff.
0: It reminds um, me of some like medical school manual from college <laughs> in nineteen sixty. You you'd see it in like a lab class, you know. Oh, here's how to play the forward roll. That's what it kind of reminded yeah, me. Very strange. So it sounds like you were devouring it. How
1: how much were you practicing those days and? Who were your main influences?
0: Um, I would practice before school and then come home after school and play until I went to bed for several years there. So uh, So hours per day. Hours per day. Earl Scruggs, Doc Watson. I was kind of like moonlighting, flat picking guitar too. So I've, I've been playing guitar as long as I've been playing banjo. I just don't. I do it for fun. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like my vacation from banjo.
1: When you want to do something different,
0: you just play the other yeah, string. Yeah, and, that's and right? now it's electric guitar because my hands can't handle the acoustic. I'm right. trying to do what I want. But um, it, yeah, I'd come home and listen to Earl Scruggs, and uh, I think I was listening to John McEwen back then too, but uh, around that time, shortly after I started playing, maybe a year or a year and a half, somehow I ended up with a you know when you start playing when you're – I don't know if this happened to you, but like all your parents' friends, oh, I have this banjo record. I'll make you a copy of it. And like they bring it over. So people were One giving really us like – People were like lending us their deliverance VHS. And like, you know, I, I was learning from that. And then I had some somehow a record that Tony Trishka compiled called Son of Rounder Banjo yeah. ended up in my I've hands. And then yeah. I heard everybody. And after that, it was like – I got to get a Bill Keith record, I got to get a Scott Vestal record, Yeah, all those guys, you know?
1: No, I unfortunately didn't play banjo when I was real young. I had an accordion. Or no, I listened <laughs> to Weird Al music, so they bought me an accordion. That's so that probably explains man. a lot about me, actually. Those are my main influences. Could have been me, too. Yep. could have been me exactly. on that accordion. I just learned yesterday that both Greg Cahill and Alan Mundy started on accordion. So I'm really? actually in good company as far as that goes.
0: That's a northern, it sounds like a northern thing. Yeah, anywhere where there's a lot of
1: Polish, Polish and people. Germans. Yeah, <laughs> the accordions. Um, did you have anyone to play with? Were, were you mostly bluegrass or were you already, you said Sonny Rollins was in your, in your ears quite a bit?
0: I was hearing that a lot, but um, my father played along with me on all the bluegrass standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played guitar as well, so Earl's Breakdown and, Foggy Mountain Special and anything, anything. Sometimes I had to teach the song to him because he'd come home from work. I need you to play this. I just learned it. Well, I don't know it. Here, I'll show it to you. Here's this 12-year-old showing his dad the chords on the guitar, you know? So you had a pretty good aptitude or your ear was, for whatever
1: reason, pretty tuned at picking up that that stuff and figuring it out.
0: It's hard to remember that far back. I just found it enormously fun. Mm-hmm. Enormously fun. And my friends were playing video games, and to me, that was boring for me. So, so I just, this was your video game? Yeah. That's my great. goal was to get prepared. I remember I had this young vigor. My goal was to prepare myself so I could go play with other people, but I wasn't going to go play with other people until... Until you were up for the Until I was up for whatever. the challenge. Whatever that is in a kid's mind, that's what I was going for, yeah. so... So when did that start happening? When
1: did you meet other people to play with or going to festivals?
0: So I was 10 years old. Um, Shortly after that, my family took a move to um, Mount Airy, North Carolina, and everybody played bluegrass. It was just totally coincidence. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew Earl Scruggs was from the area. North Carolina was just that area of North Carolina. I don't even know if it is anymore, but full of players. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you familiar with John Bolding from Banjo Hangout? I, I know the name, yeah. John Bolding was one of my first teachers. Okay. And uh, and I mean these guys I could tell they all played very legit. My legit dad, as in uh, like solid bluegrass. Yeah, like style. they sounded like the records my dad was playing for me, so you know, I just found local guys and there was an event. Um there's an old radio station in that town called W P A Q Radio. The Sound of the... I think it was called The Sound of the Blue Ridge or something like that. But uh, Flat & Scruggs had played at this old radio station in this little town, and they put... Every weekend there was some kind of event, some kind of bluegrass A performance band. or a festival or something. Yeah, local guys. And they had people coming through like Rhonda Vincent and, and to play live on the radio every Saturday. And uh, I just kind of soaked it all up. For a kid, it was fun. I was like, wow, I, these are, hey, there's the guy from the record that my dad played for me yeah. kind for of the thing. You yeah, know? that's incredible. So
1: seeing your baseball heroes yeah. at at a stadium or something.
0: And uh it wasn't until high school where we moved away, we went back up north um to Philadelphia and my parents were like, You aren't you aren't really you're playing in your room a lot again. And they really weren't showbiz parents at all. Mm-hmm. They I think they were totally involved in their own affairs with work and their relationship. But um they were like, You aren't playing I said, Well we're up north. These these Yankees can't. <laughs> they suck. I was like fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, I, I remember ask saying how old this. You,
1: were, and you already had an awareness
0: that, that they suck. My mom. My mom was like, "Why don't I drop you off at this fiddler's picnic?" It sounded so corny to me. I'm uh-huh. like, a fiddler's picnic? Yeah, it's going on this afternoon. I called her like twenty minutes later. Come get me. This is awful. You know. <laughs> and that was a old time music. It was, was like old time and people barely playing bluegrass somewhere in Pennsylvania. So I started bringing my uh started bringing a guitar to school so I could practice at lunch. I didn't I didn't know anybody. This was a new school. And uh the music teacher walks in and I didn't have his class. Mm-hmm. He said, "Oh, banjo Bela fleck. It's the first thing he said to me. Wow, it's like great. I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "I'm trying to learn how to play um play jazz on the banjo." He said, "Well, I'm the music teacher i can help you with that and i said i'm not in your class he's like yeah we can have lunch every day together and uh you, like, you
1: told him that you were trying to play jazz on the banjo yeah
0: already yep and I you really him. were i i was going for it with some you when know, you were with, a teenager in high yeah, school yeah with R- some chords yeah and uh I, I mean i'd heard it all my life and then i'd heard Baila fleck and i was like wow if this guy can play jazz All right, so I'll do that, too. I it's okay. That's the most, I I just thought, wow, this is the most, it's like really hip right now. It was around the time the flectones were coming out. And I was like, I want to learn how to do that, but I want to learn how to do it more like the piano player is doing it on that record. And he said, I agree. I, I can show you that. I don't know anything about the banjo, but I can show you everything I know as a keyboardist. And this guy turned out to be a phenomenal jazz keyboardist. And he you're talking me. about
1: Howard Levy, the piano stuff on the flectones, or you're talking about different piano players? I'm
0: talking about the piano player on the... I put two and two together, but I knew I wanted to sound like the piano player on the flectones. Okay. I wanted to play jazz like him, not like Bela. I liked what Bela was doing, but I wanted to use that for my bluegrass stuff. As far as jazz, when my music teacher in high school said I can show you how to play like that piano player, I can show you what he's doing. I said, wow. I'll, I'll take that over a banjo lesson. So what anyway, kind of I'll stuff figure. did he show you? Show me some chord voicing stuff. He introduced me to Miles Davis and Weather Report. And just... a. I think the first song I worked on worked with him was Girl from Ipanema, just because it's something we, I had in my head. And just kind of like work that out with him over...
1: You said you were taking your guitar to school but at that point you started taking your banjo because no you found I'd, I'd
0: get beat up if i brought my banjo to school <laughs> i just tuned the the first string on the guitar down to d and just learn on those strings gotcha. and then by proxy i yep. ended up learning what went on on those other strings too but right that was just a bonus for not getting apply. beat up <laughs> yeah <laughs> well at least you found one useful yankee that could uh yeah and and uh he's like you should go out and play with people you should find a jam and I found some kids in school to play bass and drums with um while I did it and I, I eventually went to college and I kept my I went to college for art and kept my studies up and um you know casually at my own leisure learned jazz I I didn't know that I didn't learn what I really needed to know until I got hired by Bill Evans the saxophonist years later, but right. I knew enough to get hired by him, so apparently I did something right.
1: So who were some of the jazz guys that you really enjoyed back then?
0: Um, really enjoyed Miles Davis, you know, all those Primer records like Kinda Blue and uh, John Coltrane's Blue Train yeah. really liked that record What are some other ones? Mostly bebop? No I, The Fusion really got me In a Silent Way really got me Um I really liked, um, God. what's what's the other one I was listening to at that time? Herbie Hancock's Headhunters, that one really, that one really. I heard those two when I was 16. So not even necessarily
1: guitar players or anything, you were listening to horns and
0: keys? No, I made it a point, I did not want to learn guitar licks on the banjo. And that's, so I I said, there's no reason I can't do it with these three finger picks, these flying fingers from bluegrass. Mm-hmm. There should be no excuse not to be able to learn how to to bebop and I knew it was it was all in this hand that was going to do this hand would my right hand would need to accommodate but the the left hand would need to do a lot of work but at some point you
1: discovered uh McLaughlin, who I know you are a pal of his, and i mm-hmm. I, I think to my ears you're you 're playing Certainly reminds me of, of the <laughs> kind of stuff that he does on guitar.
0: That makes me happy because um, yeah, I'm, I'm a total fan. I'm a fanboy, and now he's my friend. So, and did you find him through listening to Miles? I found him from listening to Miles. I knew who he was on uh, in a silent way and Bitches Brew. I was like, who's that crazy guitar player right. playing all that angular shit? But it wasn't until I had gone. To meet up when I was seventeen, I drove all the way back down south from up north to meet up with my friend Rex McGee, who was here last year when yeah. we met him, and he's he was my banjo mentor. So you knew him back from when you actually lived down in Mount Airy, yeah. Okay. And I was taking lessons with him at the time, um, not for jazz. He was already beyond that. He was already beyond bebop. I'm, you can learn that on your own. Just learn how to read music. That's what he said. And so my studies continued with my high school music teacher and learning how to read music out of Jerry Coker's improvising jazz. But around the time I was studying with this high school music teacher, I went back down south to see Rex, and uh, he was really excited. Who are you listening to? You know, who are you listening to? I'm listening to Oscar Peterson play Satin Doll. I'm listening to Joe Pass play Satin Doll. I'm listening to Joe Pass' solos. I'm listening to Pat Metheny. I'm listening to Martin Taylor. All these very soft, except for Oscar Peterson, very soft, eloquent bebop guitar players. And he said... mellow sounding. Yeah. He said, you're straying away from banjo players. I was like, yeah, well, you know, I want my own voice and blah, blah, blah. Like everybody at a certain point. But I, I had a vision. And he said, you need to listen to John McLaughlin, especially his acoustic stuff. All of his stuff is really great. But he said, this guy plays with just blood on the floor. Fire, right? Yeah. heard him, and I was like that's how I want thank sound. you yeah. right there, and around the same time, uh, a friend from Philly, you know you know when certain friends think they know what they're talking about, and they're you need to listen to Frank you have friends like that too you need to listen to frank Zappa <laughs> i can 't stand at around the same time a friend heard I was listening to John McLaughlin, he said, You need to hear Pat Martino, okay, and I was like, this is some Yankee. This is some Yankee Philly guy with hometown pride, like they all have for their crappy football team. Sorry, Eagles fans. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about some local jazz guitar player. And when I finally heard Pat Martino, I was like, this is my second guy. Thank you, Matt. these two and uh i've kept my focus very narrow as far as players to emulate it's been all people that whose stuff i've learned i haven't learned all of their stuff and uh i've kind of cherry picked my favorite licks two five ones chords songs from herbie hancock and john mclaughlin miles davis um and pat martino i've John Coltrane, of course, was a huge influence. I keep getting back into him, and then getting sick of it, and then going back. And
1: did you get into Holdsworth at all?
0: Yeah, I, Holdsworth. I listened to everything he did, and I had I. I that's where I drew the line. I was like, "McLaughlin's a, no, a mortal man. Mm-hmm. Holdsworth is not. Yeah. I mean, it's debatable for either, but I could not. I can't play legato banjo, no matter how hard I try. So, right, I was. Amazing.
1: Well, part of his thing is his
0: hands are so darn big that his, yeah.
1: he does things that are physically impossible. And, for, and even for
0: McLaughlin people. was like, I have no idea what he's doing, but it's amazing. Yeah, So yeah, it is.
1: Uh, so even we went off on a, a jazz tangent, but even through all that time, you were still going to bluegrass fests. And yep. Well, I had to, to try all start? this new jazz
0: shit out on bluegrass. And how did that go over? Not well. <laughs> um, I got a lot of practice in. I ignored a lot of a lot of animosity, but you know, I tell my students this too. If you're trying to get a gig, which I wasn't. <laughs> that's not the way to go about it. I want to make that very clear. Don't practice your jazz at a bluegrass jam session if you're looking for a gig. It definitely it definitely helped with practice. It's free practice. But I made a lot of shallow enemies doing that in the southern ilk of bluegrass that right. I still get and I what they would just
1: give you snide comments
0: or... Haters know. gonna hate, you know? Very funny, but I, I learned a lot. I learned how to have a thick skin. I learned that a jam session is practice, and you can do whatever you want, Red. you know? And um, I never got kicked out of a jam session because I was doing... I, they could see I was going for thoughtful stuff. So, um, you know, you're gonna have that one redneck every now and then, you're playing like you on drugs. And I was like, I'm, I'm 16. I'm not on drugs. I just right. want to get good at this. Yeah. Um, so a lot of jam session playing with, with uh, bebop ensembles and bluegrass jam sessions, and I was transcribing I think around the time I was 16, maybe 15, I was transcribing tones back then as, as much as I could, you know <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'm trying to get that stuff down. Um, were you doing all that by ear? Doing all that by ear. I remember my big Coupe de Gras was getting Bayleflex, Sea Rock City, like the. And yeah. figuring that out and then buying the tab to check myself. And I was like, yeah, was you was one right. note off. Oh, okay. And I didn't know about like half step. You know, kind of like diminished intervals. Then, mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, I was just working really hard. I, nobody ever told me it would be hard to do, which I think really helped me. I kind of just didn't know better. My mom was always like, "Sounds good in there," <laughs> you know, and like, "Oh, you're learning to read music today! Yay!" <laughs> it was really. I'm very lucky in that. In that, uh, I've tried that on students. Th- we were really scared that something would be hard to do. And I said, no, we're going to learn the easiest thing right now. And I'd show him a very hard but concept. But it's really not yeah. easy at all. And if you tell yourself you can't, you won't. Right. You know, you'll put it off and put it off. But, you know, what's the end goal was my result to be playing like I am now. So mm-hmm. I saw that any time invested in that was was easier than worrying about it later and. I covered a lot of times. you're very self... It sounds like you're very self-motivated, didn't
1: necessarily get a lot of um, encouragement from yeah. people you were around. You just had to do it I, because you wanted to.
0: Yeah, it was just a, a, a thing, you know? Um, my brother... Or my sister... I don't have any brothers, but my sisters, my siblings didn't play. And uh, for me, it was just making, you know, cool sounds. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to... Love that. I just wanted to be able to make, f- I don't know. When did you get into contest playing? Let's see. A nice stroke of desperation in my early 20s and money owed for rent entered me in the contest picking scene. Um, never wanted to do it. It wasn't about ego, I owed money plain and simple, had no other choice. (laughs) And that was a way to do it. (laughs) That was a way to do it.
1: Um, So what were the first ones that you entered? You've you've been in
0: a few, right? Let's see. I entered... um, Well, when I lived in Mount Airy when I was young, they had local fiddlers convention, the Mount Airy Fiddlers convention. And if you were a kid or you were at that festival, and I think the Galax Fiddlers convention in Virginia was like this too, but you'd get some... Uh, some of your uh, admission money back. Right. So you end up with like 300 people. Yeah. So if your mom dropped you off there with like 15 bucks to get in, you got like 10 back. I was like, there's no way I'm not playing. Money was the prime motivator in all all the contests I played in. But I entered Merle Fest um, at my roommate's insistence. In two thousand two or three, your
1: roommate, whom you owed money to,
0: who I owed money to, <laughs> a significant amount of back then, money to. Oh no! And um, he said, "You're gonna, you're gonna win this because you're gonna have to deal with my wrath." You know, and I think he told me a week before, but I prepared. I don't know. I loosely prepared. I always think uh, I'm hard on myself, and I found that if I'm hard on myself, that the results are better in the end because I try extra hard. Mm-hmm. Um, But it just seemed like I didn't put in as much work as I could have. I saw I showed up and there were all these amazing players there. And uh, I saw that some of them had been working out their tunes and solos for months and months. Some uh, people,
1: that's that's what they do. They, yeah, they, there were some guys there. You're on an
0: arrangement to, to take to Winfield. Yeah, um, they're like prize fighters. But my right. desperation to pay rent outweighed their determination by a long run i i needed this money and um the sheer willpower of it i think it miraculously got me through i was i improvised solos i did new stuff that nobody had ever heard before i knew that Um, but i didn't surely didn't expect to win what were the tunes that you played do you remember um i probably played whiskey before breakfast salt creek Sweet Georgia Brown was one that I pulled out of my back pocket. I did not think that would go over well, but Doc played it, right? I think. Yeah. Doc Watson played that. And then they pulled a song out of a hat in some of these contests. Random song. I think mine was Blue Night Emerald Fest. But when, once you start, once you win one of these, other ones start showing up in the mailbox. Like, we'd like, we've heard that. Really? We'd like, you get this orange envelope. We'd like to invite you to come play Fiddle Fest in Roanoke. So this this next festival was a total publicity stunt. I think the top prize was like $10,000, but I rode up there with Rex McGee and I think I got third and he got fourth or fourth and fifth or so. We brought home thousands of dollars. It was just more, it was like, wow, for an afternoon, 2,500 bucks, $3,000. Not bad. Felt like you robbed a bank or something. Felt like we robbed a bank. And then after that, I just bought a plane ticket with those winnings and, uh, uh, that what Merlefest prize was a banjo and some cash, which was really good, but I'd hawk the banjo. And uh, so Merlefest, fiddle fest, took the money from that, flew out to Rocky Grass, won that banjo, came home, sold it. And then I decided to, I tried to keep going locally. I was like, yeah, I'm on a streak here. And I went down to South Carolina and I got like fourth in, in that contest. And I was, I was, I was a little bummed. But I went back next year, and I got first. Okay. And yeah. uh, that was the you end just going of to my... your head a little bit at first, and then you, you had to re- regroup. Yeah, and then I sold all these banjos, and um, they got me by for a while. And um, <clears throat> It was just all about having fun. I don't yeah. know. It so seemed you were like playing, a crazy thing.
1: If you were playing Whiskey Before Breakfast and that stuff, you were playing familiar tunes, but you were injecting all this crazy jazz, jazz substitutions and, and weird...
0: Not, Licks. not really. I was just navigating the songs uh, different than other banjo players would. I was trying to. I was playing it very clean, uh, keeping stuff very clean for those contests. No substitutions or anything. Just, just playing the song. But um, well, you said know. you had played stuff that no one had ever heard before. You're just talking
1: about the your um, way of of doing the melodic and the single string.
0: Something similar to that, but uh, sorry. That's good. Um, people had never really heard that done uh, up tempo kind of stuff. Like I was trying to play like John McLaughlin on bluegrass, and mm-hmm. by the stroke of luck, my experiment with that won me some money. Yeah, and uh, but I never. Do you know who the judges were by any chance? Did you ever find out? Oh God, I think I think one I'd be of them. Curious to know. <laughs> I would have been curious to know then too, but I'm pretty sure Tony Trishka, Pete Wernick, and JD Crow were my judges at Merlefest. There may have been some others. I know JD Crow and Scott Vestal were one of my judges at, uh, at in Richmond at, is that Richmond? Roanoke at Fiddlefest. I don't know who the judges were at Rocky Grass or South Carolina. Okay but uh i'd
1: love to know must have been someone <laughs> who had their mind at least cracked open a little bit yeah
0: yeah which so is nice.
1: um but and like you said you so sometime after this you must have done enough shedding on your chops on your on your jazz knowledge to get hired by by bill yeah and um, just for for clarity's sake there's there's much to do about all the Bill Evans is in history right. this Ryan's talking about Bill Evans there's a saxophone player who played with Miles in what the 80s yep um 1980
0: through 83 i think
1: so this is not Bill Evans the well known to all of us banjo player nor is it Bill Evans the dead piano player
0: prolific dead piano right player. fantastic right. this is the but, prolific tenor saxophonist yes um and some
1: soprano too does he
0: soprano okay. too Bill was a torchbearer for that Saturday Night Live soul sax mixed with bebop sound. Mm-hmm. R- real heavyweight harmonically and technically on his instrument. Real unbelievable player, but, but yeah. How'd you get that opportunity? How, do, how does a guy like that find uh,
1: this dude playing banjo contests?
0: Desperation's a great motivator. Around that same time, um, I guess it was a couple years later, I was out of my contest money. And I was gigging. Uh, I was gigging around North Carolina with a band called the Big Fat Gap, and they were just a local ragtag bunch of Pirates of the Caribbean kind of. We get drunk and pick bluegrass, but they they played okay. well well enough for me to uh, make some. some scratch a living from it. And uh, I was living with a girl at the time who was also a banjo player who had been playing as long as I had, and she was more than irked. <laughs> Excuse me, she probably won't hear this anyway, but I was she was more than irked that I had a gig and she didn't. Um, and she had to use her, co- she had a college education mm-hmm. and got, uh, she was teaching elementary school Spanish and getting up very early. And I was coming home late, smelling like cigarettes and, you right. know, and booze. Bar and, things. Yeah. yeah. And, um, happy. I was happy on top of that, which, uh, cause I was playing every night. It made her unhappy, and I was short on rent one month. And uh, I think it was like in 2005. And she had had it, and uh, like many people, too, she had been passively, aggressively brooding. I said, what am I supposed to do now? She said, I don't know. All you ever talk about is John McLaughlin. Why don't you get in touch with him and see what he can do for you? <laughs> and I did. <laughs> that's <laughs> and, hilarious. And that's how it went. I guessed his email online. I just guessed. I you sent, guessed his email? I guessed his email. I, I did a little poking around online, but I sent an email to 30-some-odd. John McLaughlin, McLaughlin dot com or and it, whatever. And it got through to him. And, and my letter, I just said, hey, you know, I learned your, all your music. I'm playing the banjo. I'm trying to bring that back into jazz in a modern way. And if I don't hear from you, I'm going to bug you. I'm just gonna bug, 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 bug you, I think. And then I wrote The Banjo Avenger or Ryan Kavanaugh <laughs> Banjo Avenger. And he thought it was funny, and he replied. And I was very lucky. Yeah, he said, You know, I know it sounds funny, but the saxophonist Bill Evans is a friend of mine, and he just did a, uh, a record with Bela Fleck called Soulgrass, and he's looking for a banjo player. I'll see if you, I can get you a gig.
1: And that's where we're going to stop for the first part of the conversation with Ryan Kavanaugh. The second half of this conversation will be in the next episode. Once again, if you want to get a hold of the show, email me at podcast at gmail.com. Support the show by going to patreon.com slash podcast. So I hope you join me next time for the second half of that conversation. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.